Well, good morning, church family, and welcome to this, the last message as we come to the end of our sermon series, Simple, which has been a journey through the letter to the Colossians. It's been such an adventure, hasn't it? There always feels like a sense of moment when we arrive at the end of a sermon series, and today is that moment. And today we get to the message, Teamwork Made Simple. Well, maybe you've heard the old adage, team, T-E-A-M. There's no I in team. Well, it's wrong, of course. There is an I in team, which you can see uh, on the screen. There's an I so clearly in the word team there. Well, I know what the point is of the old adage. Somebody had to find a way around it. Well, today in his final greetings in this letter, having first last weekend challenged us about the one, two, three of evangelism, pray, walk, talk, your talk seasoned with grace and seasoned with salt and your walk being a life lived with integrity. The Apostle Paul today stops to celebrate all the faith-filled and the faithful people who have journeyed with him in faith. Although he does uh, mention one person who it turns out in the end was not quite so faith-filled and not quite so faithful. Well, today Paul is celebrating his gospel-centered friendships and his message is very clear. He simply wants us to know we're all in this together. There really is no I in team. The journey of faith and the journey of mission and of ministry is a journey of togetherness. We cannot and we should not seek to take this journey alone. Didn't we celebrate that yesterday, that this is a journey of togetherness? Well, we're going to read together Colossians chapter 4, beginning from verse 7. And uh, as I read this, you can listen to me squirm as I try and pronounce the unpronounceable names. Of course, what I'll do is what every preacher does in these moments. I'll say it with absolute confidence and you'll think, ah, that's how you say it, even if that's not correct. Verse 7 says this, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, but too so that he would encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and our dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, uh, this unpronounceable word, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they've proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you so that you may stand firm in the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and another unpronounceable place beginning with H. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is read too in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter to Laodicea. 
Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you've received from the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Well, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes I read about the adventures of the Apostle Paul and I read of some of the things that he writes and I often end up picturing in my head this idea of a very strong-willed man, a stubborn man who's traveling about from town to town and he's kind of just slugging it out by himself. I imagine someone who's a bit like Indiana Jones or 007, just taking on the bad guys, someone who's quite self-sufficient, someone who's delighting in overcoming every single adversary in his own strength. But then you arrive at texts like today, at the end of Paul's letters, and you discover that that idea that I have in my head sometimes couldn't be further away from the truth. Because Paul consistently in his letters lists the people who have helped him. Significantly, Paul mentions over 100 uh, people in his New Testament letters. If you take a look at Romans chapter 16 alone, he mentions 26 people in one chapter. In our text today, Colossians chapter 4, he mentions 10 very diverse individuals. In a sense, it's a bit like the credits at the end of a movie. Although you see the, the director's name at the beginning, and you could settle on the idea that aside from a few actors... He or she, that director, made the movie all by themselves. But then the credits run at the end, and we're amazed by all the people and all of the processes that have gone into making that film come to screen. It's no wonder, is it, that it costs double figures to go and see a film at the cinema these days? Well, in our text, the Apostle Paul is running the credits. And he's running them not as some afterthought or some bolt-on at the end of the message, But he's doing so as an integral part of his message to the church in Colossae. And there's a point to him doing this. He's speaking about togetherness. Paul really is affirming that his ministry would be considerably less effective, if effective at all, without the contribution of other people. Interestingly, as you read Paul's writings and you read about his journeys, there were only two times that are recorded in Scripture when Paul was alone in ministry. There's Acts chapter 17 when Timothy and Titus go off to minister together because they've gone to places where Paul simply isn't welcome. And then you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4 how Paul pleads with Timothy to come to him because it's very clear that Paul is bothered by his sense of aloneness and he wants the company of somebody else. In a sense, I guess we could say that Paul was just simply following the model of his saviour Jesus. Everywhere he traveled, he went with companions and he had encouragement. So what can we conclude from that? Well, if Jesus needed team, then we can be quite sure that we need uh, team too. Wasn't it good yesterday to celebrate and affirm that together in Kay's ordination and induction? Paul's ministry, there's no doubt, was successful. Why? Because he partnered with others. And with that in mind, I want us this morning to take a a brief look at some of the names that Paul mentions here in Colossians chapter 4. And what I want us to notice today and to celebrate, just like the credits in a film, is that there's a rich variety and a rich tapestry of people, and I think we can learn much from them. We might even be able to identify ourselves in the lives of some of these characters. And the first category of people that are mentioned are, are two faithful messengers, Tychicus and Onesimus. 
Now, Tychicus, in a sense, is the postman, but he's so much more than that too. He's the chap who's been entrusted with the responsibility of delivering this letter from Paul's prison cell to Rome, uh, in Rome to, to the leaders of the church in Colossae. Now, the distance was about 100 miles. He, he would have crossed Italy on foot before then crossing the Adriatic Sea, then crossing Greece on foot before crossing the Aegean Sea, and then walking a further 100 miles to the town of Colossae. Well, Amazon Prime is amazing, isn't it? But this delivery really was something else. But Tychicus is more than just the mailman. Paul calls Tychicus in verse 7, a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Brother, minister, servant. And you can imagine here, can't you, throughout the many highs and lows of Paul's ministry, of which there were many, Tychicus was the guy that had stood by him. I imagine this guy doing life and ministry with Paul as they proclaimed the gospel in some really tough places and as they debated with the high and mighty of society. I imagine Tychicus being with Paul here as they got themselves into no end of trouble, being arrested and flogged and imprisoned and even shipwrecked. What an adventure. This is not a journey for the faint-hearted or the uncommitted, is it? I wonder if Paul even would have persisted with some of his ministry opportunities if it weren't for the support and the encouragement of people like Tychicus being around him. Paul says that this guy was faithful. And I can think of plenty times in my own ministry when I would have hung up my dog collar, not that I own one, if it weren't for faithful friends and colleagues and other trusted leaders who'd gathered around me, other people who were willing to stand in the storms, other people who were willing to speak words of encouragement into my life, even in the difficult times. So far beyond Tychicus simply delivering a letter, important task as that was, Paul is saying that this chap was visiting Colossae with a ministry purpose to encourage these new believers to guess what? To keep Jesus at the very center of all that they were about. He returns to that core message of this letter. And I simply want to ask you a question this morning. Are you a Tychicus? Or do you need a Tychicus type character to speak into your life? If you are a Tychicus, let me encourage you to pursue this ministry because it's so incredibly valuable in the kingdom of God. Well, next, Paul mentions Onesimus. Now, if you've ever read Paul's letter to Philemon, this guy's name will sound strangely familiar to you because this is the same chap who's mentioned there, but what a transformation that has happened in his life. In Philemon, Onesimus is described as an unreliable runaway. We could say that he was a bit of a letdown. He was a slave there in that context, and he he left the presence of his master and was a disappointment. But here in Colossians in verse 9, Paul describes him as being a faithful and a dear brother. Now, from the letter to Philemon, we can learn that Onesimus didn't know Christ when he first ran away. But now it's so obvious, isn't it, that he's come to faith in Christ through Paul's witness. And Paul is now sending this man back as a transformed character back to his master, no longer as a slave, far from it, but as a dear brother in Christ. What a celebration of the difference that Jesus can make in the life of an individual. Well, aren't these two faithful messengers great? We learn from them that in the family of God, there's room for the lifelong faithful, 
but there's too room for those who may not have made the best start, but have been transformed and are still being transformed by the good news of Jesus. There's room for all at different ages and stages and states of maturity in the family of God. Well, next we discover that there are some Jewish co-workers and comforters. Aristarchus, who we know from the book of Acts, was imprisoned in Ephesus and then was shipwrecked uh, with the Apostle Paul on Malta. There's Mark, who is the same Mark, John Mark, who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But too, you might recall from the stories uh, that Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement over Mark. So Paul and Mark parted company for a season, but here they are back together again. A beautiful story of reconciliation. And then there's Justice. Now, we don't know much about this chap, but what we do know is what Paul says about him in verse 11. He, alongside these other two guys, has been a massive comfort to Paul during times of incredible hardship. And I wonder, are you an Aristarchus? Are you a Mark? Are you a Justice? Are you somebody who can give comfort to others in their time of need? Do you know, it's been so inspiring in the course of the last 12 months as we've wrestled with this difficult pandemic to see how the ministry of these three chaps has been worked out in the life of the church here at CBC. We've seen it church-wide and we've seen it in our small groups, people going the extra mile, people being an Aristarchus in ministering to other people to bring them comfort in their time of need. Maybe too today, you're somebody, you're a Mark who can share a story about reconciliation and about being brought back into a community of grace. So Paul sends these greetings from these three Jewish co-workers. But then he also sends greetings from three Gentile co-workers, Epaphras, Luke and Demas. Now, if you know anything about biblical history, this is a wonderful image. This is a beautiful image of the church when it's working at its best. Jewish converts and Gentile converts who had quite different views of the world working together and partnering in the gospel. What a beautiful image. If you want an analogy, it's a little bit like Manchester United, a Manchester City fan sharing the same bus home. It really is possible in the economy of God. You see, in the church, God delights in unity with diversity. God loves it when different ages, stages, races, genders, classes, educations, professions, characters all come together and experience community together. And you know, I praise God that we're such a mixed bag of people here at CBC. And we're going to celebrate that a bit later on towards the end of the service as we think about the different ages in our church as well. And I want to encourage us from this text this morning to not stop working really hard. Was that a double negative? You know what I mean? To not stop working hard to live in the unity which God has already says exists in Christ. Let's continue pursuing unity in Jesus, even with all of our diversity. Well, let's have a a quick look at these three Gentile co-workers. The first one that Paul mentions is Epaphras, who was probably the founder, the original pastor of the church here in Colossae. And the point that Paul wants to make about him, his distinguishing characteristic, is that he was, verse 12, always wrestling in prayer. Epaphras was a man who had this amazing ministry of prayer. Paul specifically mentions it twice in his letter. 
He was the faithful prayer warrior who was constantly interceding for others. Now, did you notice in the text that Paul says, I can vouch for him that he's been working hard on your behalf. Being a prayer warrior is hard work. And if you're a prayer warrior in the life of the church, in the kingdom of God, we honor your hard work. We honor your sweat. We honor your tears in that ministry. It's such a valuable ministry. And I would encourage you to treat it in, in, in the way it deserves to be treated as such a valuable, important ministry in the life of the church, a ministry that's hard work. And I can't express enough how grateful I am to each and every single person who's an intercessor here in the life of the church. Can I, can we encourage you as a church family to keep on praying, to keep on interceding because it's such a precious ministry and it's such hard work. Epaphras' prayer had one goal, you'll notice, in verse 12, that the Colossians would stand firm in the will of God, that they would be mature, that they would be fully assured. What a great prayer for our intercessors to pray over the lives of others in the body of the church here at uh, Christchurch Baptist Church. That we would be a people who stand firm, who are mature, who are confident in the things of God. We desperately need Epaphrases in the life of the church today. People who will wrestle on our behalf that we would be all of those things, standing firm, mature and fully assured. I wonder... Is there an Epaphras gathered here with us online today? If you're an Epaphras, we need you. We need your prayers. We need your hard work. We need you to keep on praying for God's kingdom to come, for us to come to that place of maturity. So we have Epaphras, the prayer warrior. But then there are these two other Gentiles mentioned as well. There's Luke and there's Demas mentioned in verse 14. Paul says, our dear friend Luke the doctor... And Demas send greetings. Now, Luke was the same chap who wrote the Gospel of Luke and much of Acts. We know so much about him. He was a faithful, he was a faith-filled follower of Jesus who had such an incredible eye for detail. I guess that's a good thing in the life of a doctor. But then we also have this interesting character called Demas. Now, did you notice in verse 14 that Demas only gets a passing mention without any adjectives, but he's mentioned nonetheless. You almost get this sense that Paul was struggling to find anything positive to say about this guy. So rather than using a negative adjective, Paul very wisely uses neutral or no adjectives whatsoever. We don't learn anything specific about him here in Colossians. But what we do know is that from 2 Timothy, Demas had deserted Paul during Paul's second imprisonment at Rome. Paul says of him in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas loved this world and he deserted me. The words about Demas, in a sense, are quite tragic as they're captured there in 2 Timothy, because they were written just three or four years after Paul had sent this letter to Colossae. What do we learn about this? Well, the sad truth is that not everyone in the church continues as a fully sold out follower of Jesus. John MacArthur makes a very challenging comment on this verse. He says, Jesus had his Judas and Paul had his Demas. Even the two greatest leaders that the world has ever known has had those who failed them. Demas is an example of somebody who failed to finish well. He treated the the Christian life, as you like, as a a 100-meter sprint. But I guess Paul would want to say to him, look, Demas, this is a marathon. 
Dimash, your challenge is to, to go the distance. Your challenge is to live the Christ-centered life, not just for the sprint, but to stick in there for the duration of this long-distance race. Now, I'm not going to ask you this morning if you're a Dimas, but I guess I do want to say simply this morning that Dimas stands as a warning for us that we need to keep Christ at the very center of all that we're about if we want to finish this race of life and this, this journey of faith well. If actually this morning you have a sense that you're running a sprint and you're not in the marathon, let me encourage you this morning to change something, to bring Jesus back front and center so that in three or four years' time, we won't experience the tragic loss of you from this community. Well, that was sobering, wasn't it? But then Paul comes back finally in verses 15 to 17 to extend greetings, not only from those with him in Rome, but also Paul wants to greet and focus on the recipients of his letter. And first of all, he, he greets Nympha, who had allowed her home to be a place of gathering for this fledgling church community. I guess we could say of Nympha that her, her gift was hospitality. She allowed the resources that God had blessed her with, and she allowed the space that she enjoyed to be enjoyed by others for the purpose of God. I wonder this morning, are you a Nympha? Has God blessed you with some incredibly great resource or with some particular gift? Has God given you the gift of hospitality? Now, I know it's so difficult to exercise this gift in these strange days that we're in, but we can exercise it nonetheless. I just wonder this morning whether God is challenging you to use a resource that he's blessed you with or to use a gift that he's given to you for his kingdom plans and purposes. Paul even mentions the whole church at Laodicea. And Paul says to the church in Colossae to engage in a letter exchange with the Laodiceans. Why? To encourage them. And he says to the church in Laodicea, would you make sure that the Colossians get to read your letter too? In a sense, Paul is saying here, let one church bless another church. I wonder what God would say to us about allowing ourselves as a church to bless another church in our geographical location, or even beyond? How willing are we to allow other churches to, to bless us? And then lastly, Paul gives the Colossians a word of instruction. And it's about a man named Archippus. Now, if you look at verse 17, it says there, tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work that you've received from the Lord." Now, whatever this guy's role was, Archippus was involved in some form of ministry and he was in danger of stopping before he'd completed the work that God had given him to do. Here we encounter a man who's burned out, who's burdened, who's tired, who's distracted, who is discouraged, he's disillusioned, he's so weary. And whatever the problem was, and we don't find out specifically what it was, Paul takes the time to encourage him to encourage him to complete the work that he's received from the Lord. Here's a man who needed encouragement in his calling. All leaders need encouragement in their calling. All people involved in any level of mission or ministry need encouragement to do the thing that God has called them to do. And so Paul tells Archippus through the Colossian church here, Archippus, complete your ministry. Archippus, hang in there. Finish what you've started. Archippus, would you stay strong in Jesus? And I just wonder this morning whether you need to hear something like that in your life today about something you've been doing for God. 
Would you stay strong in Jesus? Would you stay faithful to God's call on your life and complete the task that he's called you to, even if it's tough? But just maybe today, God wants you to be a pool to an archippus. There are faithful people serving in ministry locally and all around the world who just need to hear a word of encouragement. Would you be a pool to an archippus today and simply send an encouraging message to tell people to stay strong in Jesus, to, to bless them for the ministry that they're doing, to, to simply encourage them? Well, finally, Paul closes out his letter with a greeting. Look at verse 18. It says, I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. And then he finishes with these brilliant words. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. If you remember back to week one of our sermon series, this letter began with a greeting of grace. And then finally, Paul closes with a greeting of grace with these simple words, grace be with you. The bookends of the story begins with grace and it ends with grace. Isn't this great? Paul never ever got tired of proclaiming God's amazing grace. Paul never got tired of speaking about the fact that his son Jesus had died for us. That's how we experience God's grace as he forgives us for our sins. And I simply want to suggest to us at the end of this sermon series today to stay strong in Jesus, to keep Jesus front and center but two, to never get tired of proclaiming this amazing grace that we've come to know and experience. Grace be with you. The team that we're part of is a family. It's the family of God. Grace be with us. There's power in we. It's not about me. It's not even about you. It's about we. Partnership, unity, and team. We're a family. We're a community of grace Grace be with us as we do life together. Shall we pray? Father God, thank you so much for this amazing journey that you've taken us on through this letter to the Colossians. We've learned so much. We've been challenged so much during the course of the last nine weeks. And Lord, I simply this morning just want to pray that we would know and experience your grace in our lives. Lord, whether today we're feel like we're flying high with Jesus, like we're, we're just walking with him, stepping step by step in perfect time with him. Lord, I pray that folk would know your grace, but maybe some of us today just feel that we're in that tough place. Maybe today some of us feel maybe a bit like Demas, that we, we're being led uh, away from being keeping Jesus front and center into things that perhaps aren't helpful in our walk with Jesus. Lord, would we know your grace the grace to know we're forgiven, but the grace too to know that things can change. Lord, maybe today we find ourselves somewhere in the middle. But Lord, I want to pray for each of us today. We would not forget your incredible grace. That your grace would be with me. That your grace would be with those listening. That your grace would be with us together as a church community as we continue to proclaim this amazing gospel and the incredible grace, the amazing grace that's ours in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.